NFR Extra is a weekly podcast that focuses on the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo and features icons that embody the rodeo and Western lifestyle. It felt so true to me that if you tried hard and worked harder at it and tried with everything you had, that's where your edge would come from. I think the thing that people forget about bulls sometimes is they kill you without trying to. You know, they don't have to be mean. They're, they're just simply, when, when an animal weighs 2,000 pounds, they can turn around and smash you like a bug. Most sports have the pressure of winning and losing or championships or or you know, being in front of the on the biggest stage, or or whatever those things are, but but where this sport is quite a bit different is it has the pressure of living and dying every single time. Hey everybody, this is Steve Goder, and you're listening to the NFR Extra. It's an honor today to be joined by Ty Murray and Ty. Just tell us a little bit about. What's going on today? We'll, we'll take a walk down memory lane, but tell us what you're doing today. What I'm doing today? Yeah. Well, um, we're going to take the kids out and cut down a Christmas tree. It's kind of our annual tradition. The day after Thanksgiving, we go get the uh, Christmas tree, and the kids are in there bouncing off the walls <laughs> uh, wait, waiting to go get that. So you don't do like the Griswold thing, right? You don't strap it to the roof of your, your car or anything like that, right? <laughs> no, we take a four-wheeler out on the ranch. When the kids get a little bit older, we'll go horseback. But uh, while they're little, we we go out with a four-wheeler and a little trailer and cut down a Texas cedar tree. And we try to find the one that's the most shaped like a Christmas tree and go from there. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Creating memories. Yeah. When, when you talk about somebody that has the title of King of the Cowboy, you wouldn't expect much less of that. <laughs> Where at in Texas are you now? Uh, I have a ranch in Stephenville, Texas. I've been here now about 27. Uh, I've been in Stephenville about 30 years and I've been here at the ranch about 27. Now, when you yeah. say ranch, for those that don't know, are you running cattle on it? What is your... Right. Yeah. I run about 250 head of Angus mother cows. And uh, I breed breed them to Charlotte bulls. And then once a year, we sell the calf crop, try to keep the cows as long as they can produce and uh, try to take really good care of the cows so that they're able to have a calf every year. Do you have the availability to keep them on grass year round or do you have to supplement them with some feet throwing out the hay? Yeah, we put out some hay. We also put out some range cubes. Um, this year has been an especially uh, droughty year, so it was a it was a it was a brutal year. Where last year was amazing, and this year was terrible. But that's how it goes, I guess. You know, when you're when you're talking about the ranching business, and you just got to try to take as good a care of your grass as you can. Um, I think that's kind of the number one job of a rancher is to be a good steward to the land and try to, uh, you know, not overgraze your grass to where every year you have a, you have a good stand of grass because that's kind of what, that's kind of what makes the whole thing go around with cattle. Well, when you talk about your, your ranching and your ag background, Ty, I mean, we understand that 
this didn't begin with you. You you come from a, a ranching family. So kind of take us back to the beginning of how how you got involved not only in agriculture, but the the start of your rodeo career as well. Right. So um, you know, I'm a multi, multi-generational cowboy. Um, I've got I've got photographs of my my great grandpa and my great uncles putting on wild west shows back in the early 1900s. Uh, they worked for a, a pretty famous ranch at the time called the 101 Ranch. It was in northern Oklahoma, and uh, it was it was owned by uh, three brothers. They were named the Miller brothers, and they would take Wild West shows all over the world, actually. And uh, there was my I got pictures of my my great grandpa and my great uh, uncles working cows with Bill Pickett on that ranch, and he was also part of the Wild West shows and. So really, you know, I was kind of born into this life and really it's all I've ever known, you know, like, you know, like looking at my rodeo career, you know, there wasn't a day that I was like, Hey, I want to be a cowboy or I want to be a rodeo cowboy or this is what I want to do. Like, it's kind of just all I remember, you know, it's like, it's like walking. It's like, you don't remember the day you learned to walk or, you know, you just, remember always doing it and always being able to do it. And so uh, that's kind of how this has been for me. It's just, I was, you know, born into it on both sides. My, my mom's side and my dad's side was full of cowboys. So um, that's all I've ever done. It's all I've ever known. And, and luckily, you know, it's something that I've loved ever since I was a little kid. And I feel so fortunate to have been, to have been able to make, a good living my whole life, basically just doing what, you know, doing what I love to do. And, and the thing that, you know, excites me the most and has driven me the most, I feel it really seems like not a day goes by that I don't feel grateful for, for that. That's, that's awesome that you get to carry that tradition on now next generation for your kids and at least having the availability for them to grow up on that, whether they decide to compete in rodeo or carry on on the ranching tradition, that's very unique nowadays because it seems like the gap between production, agriculture, the Western way of life, whatever that is, it's just getting to be farther and farther separated from the majority of the world. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something else. Yeah. With my kids, you know, they, they're, they're here at the ranch and they, they take part in kind of everything we do here at the ranch. And, you know, I want to let them learn the skills that I'm, that I know about, but I also want to expose my kids to a lot of different things and a lot of different ways of life and kind of let them find where they fit into the world. You know, it's, um, I'm probably not one of those dads. It's like, I'm a cowboy. Your grandpa was a cowboy and you're going to be a cowboy. You know, that's, that's not really my, my thing is, you know, I, um, you know, I try to, I try to help them align with what what sets them on fire or what they're they're passionate about. And they're sure. my little girl's four and my my boy is eleven. Um but we'll try to, you know, we'll try to let them see a kind of a lot of different things in this life and 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 then try to help them, you know, kind of follow their path. Those are really fun ages. What are they into, Ty? Um, my four-year-old daughter's into everything and she is, <laughs> she's a fireball and 
she'll see a guy on TV. Like we'll just be, you know, in the house or something. And a guy will be on TV, jumping a motorcycle, like, you know, 200 feet. And she'll go, well, I want to do that. You know, so. <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> and then my son is 11 and he's, uh, you know, he was born a kid that always listened, you know, he's, he's, he's just kind of been an easy kid. He's, he's real sensitive and he's very musical. And, uh, um, you know, he, it's so funny how they're just polar opposite because he's never done anything wrong. And if, if I even say case, you know, he tears up and, you know, he doesn't want to be in trouble and he's just, uh, and he's, he's real smart and, and loves to learn, loves school. And then little miss on the other hand is probably a little bit more like me and she's <laughs> full-time job. And every time you look up, we call her sweetie Knievel because yeah. every time you look up, doing something death defying. So that's the horrible thing. Andy and I both have daughters and that's the thing when they look like mom and act like dad, it's like, <laughs> I knew this was going to come back and get me sometime. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's her. So. She's uh. He's uh, yeah. pretty much pedal to the metal all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Case, you know, it's funny how you have to adjust your parenting style. Like when Case was little, if he grabbed a lamp cord and I said, you know, I'm talking about when he was real little, like, right. Born, and I'd say, Case, don't pull on that. That lamp will fall and hit you on the head. Well, he just wouldn't pull on it. You know, he'd just walk away. Little Miss, I don't tell her not to pull on the lamp cord. Oh, let's yeah. see how hard it's going to fall. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. Let me see the other side. Well, that's one thing that's that's very interesting about the ranching way of life is that the one thing that, especially nowadays, because it seems that we're in such a different time, but to grow up in an agriculture environment is the hard work, the responsibility, you know, things that the rest of the world seems to be forgetting about. I mean, with your kids that have that opportunity like you said, whatever their passion is, they can apply that hard work, that sense of responsibility and the world is theirs. I mean, that's the really, really, I think unique thing about production agriculture and ranching way of life. Well, that's true. You know, and we really try to um, not take that for granted. You know, it's so nice having their, their animals and their chores and uh, you know, their responsibilities. They learn a lot on the ranch. They learn a lot about given life and they learn a lot about life going away too. And so, uh, you know, with just all the animals and the, 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 the wildlife and, and really, you know, like they've got, they've got chickens and guineas and peacocks and turkeys and a hamster, a rat, a rabbit, uh, two ponies. I mean, got three dogs, four cats. <laughs> they've got a, uh, they've got a little zoo here actually. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's great. And it teaches them a lot about, you know, animals and, and the responsibility that goes with animals and, and how you kind of have to think about them before you think about yourself and, and that sort of thing. So speaking of a little bit on animals with, with the advances that have been made in today's livestock and these breeding programs, do you think there's any way that someone could do what you did today, Ty? I mean, with the level of competition and the the level of livestock that you're going to see at this year's NFR and any PRCA PBR event anywhere, do you, do you think you could work three events today successfully? 
I think that I could, you know, we're watching Stetson Wright work two events very successfully. And, uh, and, you know, we just see him getting better and, right. and really, you know, the, the thing that I think some people don't understand is whenever you get on great stock, that's when it, everything's at its best. You know, like whenever you're getting on animals that kind of clatter and bang down through there, um, you know, those are the things that make you sore. Those are the things that the, the, the sense of timing is pretty ill. And, you know, riding rough stock is kind of all about timing. Sure. So when you're getting on those kind of animals that are just kind of, you know, out of line and clatter and bang and, and their timing's off, those are the things that you don't get that much better and it's harder on your body and it makes you sore. So whenever you're able to get on better stock, it, you know, it's almost like thinking about if you're a race car driver and, you know, if you're in a really good car every day, that's going to get you better. But if you're in a station wagon one day and a, you know, Ford Fiat the next, and then <laughs> you know, the day after that, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to get better and, and maintain a groove and understand a groove and, and be able to find that groove um, when you're, you know, when you're exposed to a lot of different kinds of stock. So, you know, that was something um, that was so important to us in the PBR was we knew that that the bulls had to be as had to be top notch, the very best. And, and that's something that I see as a, uh, for me, you know, like when I'd go to the NFR, that's when I felt the best of all year because I got to get on 30 head. That was all great. And so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of my take on it. I got to dork out, man, because I mean, I'm trying to keep my calm, but I grew up a Ty Murray fan. I mean, I had the poster on the wall and everything like that. And, you know, as soon as you got the books coming out, reading the books and you talk about 30 head at in 10 days and now, and that, and that's without rewrites. I mean, that's just 30 head if everything else goes good. But the most impressive part about all of that is you look at guys that are one event and you hear the television commentators or whoever is there, you know, Hey, we're halfway through the NFR and you know, you're starting to see the aches and the pains for these guys. And they're one event Cowboys with the exception mm -hmm. of Stetson, right? How did you maintain the physical and mental ability to carry that on for as long as you did? Well, really, I think your mind and body can get used to anything. And, you know, you look at people that run marathons or, or, or triathlons, Ironmans, those sort of things that seem impossible to most of us. Whenever you train for that and you work your way up and, you know, you keep getting stronger and faster and mentally more uh, prepared for it, then the next thing you know, that just becomes what you do. And it doesn't seem like a, you know, it's kind of funny. I remember when I was like 20 and, you know, people would be making a big deal about it. And it seemed, it seemed funny to me because growing up, I did every event. So, uh, so by the time I was a professional, I was only doing three. Hell, it was like a, it was almost like a day off sort of. <laughs> my body and mind, my body and mind became conditioned to that's what I do. So um, you know, like talking about guys getting sore, I used to get sore about, I would be maybe a little sore on night two, and then I would be more sore on night three. 
And then by night four, I was feeling pretty good. And then by night five, I was ready to rock and roll. I didn't care if we had 50 more performances. And so, you know, because your body, it's kind of like going to the gym. You know how when you first go to the gym and bust it and the next day you can barely walk and and then each day it's may, it may hurt the next day, but then by the next day it starts easing up, and then pretty soon you just can't even get sore. And so that's kind of that's kind of what it was like. So did you have a workout regimen back then? I mean, were there many guys because now we have gym rats. I mean, we have guys that are trying to teach others how to train. But were there a lot of guys doing preps and workouts at, at that time? Probably not near as many back then, but but it was always very important to me my whole really my whole life um even when i was going to junior rodeos you know i was about i was probably about eight or nine years old when the movie rocky came out and that movie had a profound impact on me and and uh you know it it felt it felt so true to me that if you that if you tried hard and worked worked harder at it and tried with everything you had that's where your edge would come from and so uh, that movie inspired me at seven, you know, seven or eight years old, whatever I was. And, uh, you know, I can remember being eight years old and putting on my gray sweatsuit with my hood on and going out. And, you know, really, I mean, it just, I thought that was the greatest thing. And it, it really kind of inspired me my whole life and my whole career. And, you know, in the rough stock events, confidence, well, really any sport, really kind of any endeavor you're going to be at your best when your confidence is high. And so when you're talking about a sport that you're always the underdog and it's very dangerous, like other level dangerous, um, being able to find confidence is paramount, I think. And so uh, being able to train and be physically where you had all that confidence in your strength and your quickness and your flexibility, you know, that was just a way to gain more confidence on top of all the benefits you got physically. So the, the physical, uh, you know, component to that was very important, but to me, it was almost secondary to the, to the mental um, confidence that I would get from when I was, when I was practiced, trained, uh, and ready to go. I felt like I was unstoppable. Yeah. That, that mental deal, you know, you listen to guys nowadays and there's so much more access to the mental edge, the conditioning your mind, all of that than like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But like the thing that you hear everybody say now is like, you know, your body will quit a thousand times, you know, I mean, or your mind will quit a thousand times before your body actually fails. And so that just continually building on that mental edge especially like you said, you're the underdog. I mean, this is the, the horse or the bull. They have zero desire what's going on in your personal life. And that's all up to you yeah. to sit in that, you know, three by eight steel, steel box before you nod your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's for sure. And, and, you know, for me, I think that I, you know, I think I really understood the danger of the game. You know, it wasn't like, I feel like I know the danger of the game better than anybody knows. It. And, and, you know, like when you meet people, John Q. Public from New York or something that says, man, that, that's that's really dangerous. You're crazy. That's really dangerous. Well, I know how I know how dangerous it is way better than he knows how dangerous it is. And that's what this sport is. You know, like when you look at bull riding and and even riding bucking horses, 
the danger is kind of what it is. It's the reason that it's hard to do. It's, it's, it's probably the, probably one of the biggest reasons of why it's hard to do, you know, because every, every athletic endeavor that you do requires a handful of basic things that you have to do. And so I always just tried to keep my focus on those basic things. I, you know, I never tried to get fancy or try to, you know, I was never trying to really go beyond that very much. There's times that you would have a, you know, you'd have an animal that was pretty easy to ride for you and you might, you might kind of dress it up and make it look maybe a little more difficult than what it actually is. But beyond that, it's it's basically trying to stick to the fundamentals, basics of what it is that you need to do. So most, most sports have the pressure of winning and losing or championships or, or, you know, being in front of the, on the biggest stage or, or whatever those things are. But, but where this sport is quite a bit different is it has the pressure of living and dying every single time. And so, you know, the bulls, they don't know if you're going for the world championship or at a $5 jackpot, it's all the same to them. And, and so I tried to make it where it was all the same to me too, you know, and that was something that, you know, in honesty, I think people are shocked sometimes when I tell them that I was, that, that, you know, I had a level of fear every single time I did it. And, you know, I probably got on about 6,000 head in my lifetime. And there wasn't a time that I was like, man, this is just a walk in the park. I mean, I would have the confidence. I would believe in myself. I felt, I felt very confident that I could do it, but you always know that that serious element of danger is there every time. And where it's different from other dangerous sports is if you look at like race car driving or downhill speed skiing or, or those sort of things, those are dangerous, but you, the, the, the person is still the one deciding what level it goes to. And so where it's really different in like, say, bull riding or bronc riding is the animal decides what level it's going to go to. And you've got to be in a place mentally that you say, whatever level it goes to, I'm going, that's where I'm going. And so, um, you know, that takes quite a bit of practice and experience to become good at that kind of a commitment, because I think that riding rough stock can be counterintuitive, kind of like life is sometimes. I think that I think that in life and in and in riding bucking horses and bulls, what it what it seems like you need to do is the opposite of what you really need to do. You know what I'm talking about? Right. And so, yeah. you know, being able to train your mind to go for it the hardest when every fiber of you is saying safety up and play it safe. Uh, you know, it's almost like you have to rewire your brain to be able to do that, you know, because trust me there, you know, there's, there's times every fiber of your soul is saying, save your life. And the the funny thing is when you do what you feel like would help you get safetyed up and and save you, that's actually probably going to be what hurts you. And so, you know, I understood that, that in the game and I understood the danger. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, a coincidence or an accident that I didn't have a wife and children until after my career, because I knew 
that I couldn't go to work every day and do the world's most dangerous job and have a wife and kid or kids, you know, needing me or relying on me at home. I, I knew that that would, I knew that that would severely affect my ability to compete at the highest level. Yeah, that's crazy. That's like the cat that, that, like you said, the natural intuition of save your life. I mean, most people would be behind the buck and she's like, just take my saddle off the rope off. Like I shouldn't even be here. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's it's like, funny, you, know, it, you know, it's hard to explain. And really I've been trying to explain it my whole life and I probably haven't figured it out yet, but you know, it's, it's hard to explain to people why you would be so drawn to something that can kill you pretty easily. You know, a bull that I think the thing that people forget about bulls sometimes is they kill you without trying to. You know, they don't have to be mean. They're, they're just on you. When, when an animal weighs 2000 pounds, they can turn around and smash you like a bug. Yep. You know, so, uh, so the danger is there always, rather it's a, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a mean bull. And, uh, you know, it's hard to explain to somebody why you would do that. I know it's hard for me now at 52 with with a wife and kids it's hard for me i can't imagine doing it again you know you couldn't melt and pour me into a bucket (laughs) you know what i'm saying at this stage of my life even if i was physically still the way i was when i was 25 i just have a different look at the world now and what's important to me is different now but you know like when i was in my 20s there was nothing more important than than going after the benchmark that i'd set for myself in my career and trying to break Larry Mahan's record and trying to be an exceptional rider in all three events. That, that, I thought that was the only thing that existed in, in the world. So and now it's, you know, not discounting it, but now it's, it's not near as important to me as it was then. Every year, rodeo fans make their way to Las Vegas to immerse themselves in the Western lifestyle. For many, their NFR experience includes a trip or two to the Cowboy Channel Cowboy Christmas in search of more. More time with friends, more fashion, more entertainment, more choices, more autograph sessions, and more Vegas. The Cowboy Channel Cowboy Christmas, December 1st through 10th at the Las Vegas Convention Center, South Halls. Open daily from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's all here. So on that topic, how did you know when to give it up? Like, when did you stop going to rodeos when that transitional of mental, it sounds like, happened? Yeah. So that, that, that transformation probably didn't happen at the time that I retired. What happened at the time that I retired is really I'd, I, had, I had reached the benchmarks that I'd set for myself. And, and really, I kind of went beyond really what the benchmarks that I'd set for myself were. And I lost my drive when that, when that, when I'd gotten to that point in my career, I'll never forget the last bull I got on was in Billings, Montana. And I had my hand in the rope and I, my hand was kind of bunged up at the time. And I had my hand in the rope and they were pulling my rope and it felt like my hand was just breaking, you know, and, and it was cold. And, and I remember as I was taking my rap, I remember thinking, what am I doing? It's like, I, you know, why, why am I still out here? Like, what, you know, what do I, why am I still out here? You know, I don't, I don't have anything to prove to myself. I don't have anything to prove to anybody. And, and when that drive, you know, my, the biggest advice that I probably handed out my whole career was that you've got to love this. Like you, if you're doing it cause your girlfriend thinks it's cool or your buddies are doing it or your dad wished he would have, those aren't, those aren't 
adequate reasons to do it because it's it's too dangerous you know like in in that's what made me gun shy about doing clinics in schools is because when I would have kids show up that wanted to drive bulls that couldn't do a pull-up, mm. you know, I'm like, look, I'm not going to babysit your kid out here in something that's this dangerous. You know, it's, 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 it's gotta be burning in you. I think if you're going to take on something like this, that can just really hurt you, maim you, kill you, paralyze you. I mean, that's, I'm just stating the cold hard facts and, and what I've seen happen to a lot of my friends. It, you know, it's got to be something that just burns in me. And, and it burned in me, you know, my from childhood till I was 32, it burned in me every day. I thought about it every day without trying to. And, and I think that's a really important element to be, to do this at the highest level. And, and to, if you're going to try to be, really good. If you're going to try to make the NFR, if you're going to try to be a world champion, this ain't a hobby, you know, and, and, and really none of the events are because it, they require so much work, you know, like the, if you look at the team ropers and calf ropers and bulldoggers, they practice all day, every day, if they're not at a rodeo. And so without that burning love, I always tell people that, that love is the only thing that all champions have in common. You're going to look at, if you take 10 champions, you're going to see 10 different styles, 10 different ways of going at it, 10 different mental preparations that they have, you know, kind of really every element of their game, you're going to see differences in the 10 guys. But the one thing that all of them are going to have that I see if they're, if they're champions is they're going to have a burning love for what they do in, in the sport. And so when I got to that point where I was saying to myself, what am I, what am I still doing out here? You know, that's when I knew that the, that, that had, that that had passed for me. And so I came back from that event and I called Randy Bernard, who was the CEO of the PBR at that time. And, and this was like in April and I called Randy the next day and I was like, I was like, Randy, I'm going to retire. And he was like, no, what? No, 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 no. We're going to have a farewell tour, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I was like, no, we're not having a farewell tour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you that I'm done right yeah, now. I'm let, done. Let's have a death slope. That sounds great. Uh, this yeah. Is yeah, yeah. Not yeah, the Rolling you know, Stones. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, he really wanted to kind of make it like my farewell year. And, and, and I knew that when you're not there, a hundred percent heart and soul. The only thing that's out there for you is to get hurt. And so I knew that I wasn't there a hundred percent heart and soul anymore. It it wasn't as important to me. I wasn't driven to reach those benchmarks for myself that I had always been driven towards. So, so at that point I said, no, I'm, I'm done. And it was also really important to me to, I wanted to go out where you went out right up there towards your best. Sure. And, you know, I was sitting number two, I had a 76% riding average. So, you know, physically and, and, and really mentally, I could still do it. Uh, but without that drive, you just, you just don't have the dedication that I think that you need to have. Well, when I think of moments at the NFR and, and guys that I looked up to, I, I think there's, 
no one better than you to be in this inaugural class of, of NFR icons. So I, I guess I say all that to ask the question, did, did you ever think when you made your first NFR when, and you were, you had all these goals, did you ever think that you would achieve everything that, that you had set out for yourself? Well, you don't know, you know, and that's, um, you know, I can remember as a kid growing up in Arizona, you know, I, I would win the, the, the state championships and the, and the state finals and, you know, I, I, th- that sort of thing. And I can remember really wanting to get out of Arizona because I knew I could beat, you know, I, I, I'd proven that I'd beat those kids. I wanted to go see if I was could beat other kids around the country. And I really wanted to come to Texas. And so that's why when I got the, the scholarship offer to go to Odessa and replace Jim Sharp, you know, that was, that was, I, I couldn't wait. And so, you know, I don't think that, you know, but I will say the thing that the biggest thing that I think helped me to achieve uh, winning seven all arounds and, 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 uh, beating Larry Mahan's record, which was my goal since I was a little boy, was that that was my plan and my benchmark. So I think sometimes really you see it in any sport, you know, they, they start to see that they're pretty good and then they might say, well, I want to see if I can win a world championship or whatever the goal might be. Mm-hmm. And so much work goes into it physically and mentally that you see guys win and then you see, you know, like the famous sophomore hangover right, that they right. talk about in, in all of sports. I never really had that sophomore hangover because I didn't want to, you know, my goal was never to win one championship. My goal was to win seven. And so when I won my first all around, it felt like one down six to go to me. You know, it didn't, I didn't have that moment of, whoo, I did it, you know, and it's like all this pressure's lifted off you and you've poured everything you could into it that previous year. And then it's like you let down and, and you see guys struggle their second year to do it again. And I think that, I think that the reason that I didn't have that was because like I was talking about earlier, my mind and body wasn't prepared to stop at that point. My mind and body was prepared that that was the first leg of the marathon. And I knew I had to keep running. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the mental side of, of really all sports to me is the biggest component. And it's really the biggest component when you're talking about things that are like life and death, uh, dangerous type, type things. I think that it's just, I think that's where it's won or lost because anytime you get to the highest level of anything, everybody's good. You know, like when you look at the NFL, <laughs> the worst player in the NFL in the NFL is the greatest athlete you've ever personally known. Yeah, no, you that's know? true. Well, it's crazy. So, so at that point, everybody, everybody is is pretty darn good, and it seems like the the ones that are like, you know, I always thought that Michael Jordan was at his best when it was the most important. Mm-hmm. When and and if you're that kind of a person with that kind of a personality, that is huge in sports, you know, because pressure is not a pressure is not a real thing. Pressure is pressure is is man made and it's inflicted upon yourself. 
you know, there is no, there is no pressure other than what you're putting on your, on yourself inside of your head. So whenever you see guys that are like Michael Jordan, it's, that's what they're, that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, they're not looking to skirt that. They, they want to be in that position. And that's why it's so, you know, that's why I felt like it was so important. Um, you know, I told a friend of mine that was talking to me about some advice the other day with competing. Uh, I heard a really cool quote the other day and it said, uh, the man who loves to walk is going to go further than the man that loves the destination. And I thought that was just such a powerful quote because that's so true, you know, and, and, and I think if, you know, it's kind of like what I was saying about trying to win seven. I loved walking. <laughs> right. You know? And d- don't get me wrong. That seventh all round was an important destination for me, but I loved walking. And so I could just keep doing it. I could keep going. Well, let me ask you this, Ty, and I've asked uh, your contemporaries that are going to be in this inaugural class. You especially set the benchmark for attaining that high level of championship. You've had the title behind your name of champion, of multiple world champion, of legend. What does it mean to you to have your name associated now with Icon? Well, it feels super, super special. And, I, you know, I'm not saying that as lip service. Um, you know, like, oh, I'm so honored or I'm so humbled. Uh, this this truly is um, something that feels really, really special, you know, and I've went in a lot of Hall of Fames and, 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 and stuff like that. But this feels different than that, because this is something that I've watched my whole life in other sports. And the guys, the guys that get retired to the rafters, they weren't world champions, they weren't even multiple world champions, they were generally guys that, that were some other level freak. And, 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 you know, their uh, icon gets thrown around sometimes, but that's generally in, in sports, those guys that you see get retired to the rafters, they were on, they were beyond really good. And they were in some other hemisphere. So to think that my, um, uh, you know, my, my peers and, and the people that vote on this and, and maybe the people that, that follow the sport for them to think that I get to go in with two of my great friends in, in Trevor Brazil and, and Charmaine, uh, you know, it's, it's super, super special. And, and, you know, sometimes I just wish that my, you know, like my daughter, she's not really old enough to understand, understand any of it yet. And, and, you know, I think that's my only regret is sometimes I wish maybe she was a little bit older so that she could understand what, what it is that she was seeing, but I guess maybe she'll still know about it someday. That that's the cool thing about being retired into, into the rafters. That's a forever thing. You know, that doesn't change whenever you see, uh, whenever you see that, it's kind of like, it's kind of like put in stone. And so, um, you know, that feels, feels really, really good. And, and really, I even, you know, sometimes feel a little bit, um, what would be the word? Not embarrassed, but, you know, there, there's a part of me that feels like there's lots of people that could have went in before me. And I'm, I'm not saying lots, like, there, you know, but, but I'm saying there's, there's some guys that have done some amazing things and that, and that paved the way for me. 
And that, you know, like Larry Mahan was, you know, like my whole childhood and probably really my whole, whole adulthood too, you know, for me, he was like better than Superman. You know, I thought he was literally of God status, you know, as a kid. So, um, you know, you look at, you look at some of the really great, uh, champions that there's been. And, you know, like when I think of Trevor and Charmaine, nobody's ever been better than them. And so, uh, that's really special. Well, as long as you can keep your daughter away from those electrical cords, you should be able to tell her for years <laughs> to come, you know, what this was all about. But I, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, Ty. I mean, you, you have set a benchmark for what an icon is. And, and it's, it's been awesome to watch your career, not only as a competitor, but the ambassador that, that you are for Western sports as a commentator and as a, as a big part of the PBR. So on behalf of all of us, it's, it's so awesome that you get to be a part of this and, and we can't wait to see you in Vegas. Well, thank you, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to coming. Me and my wife are going to come out and I'm really excited to, uh, I'm really excited to get out there and be able to watch Rocker Steiner. He's uh his dad and his dad and granddad are been friends of mine for a long, long time. And and uh we started helping Rocker when he was 13 and and now he's 18. Uh and and it's so fun to to watch him be to be able to help someone and watch them become way better than you is is pretty thrilling. You know, and and I think this kid has the the potential to set the place on fire. And I think he's a good kid. I, I know that nobody works at it harder than him. He works at it as hard harder than anybody I've ever seen, including me. Uh, wow. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody work at it as hard as this kid. And and that that makes me a fan beyond that. I loved him ever since he was. I've known him ever since he was born. And, and I've always loved him. I've always thought he's a really good kid and a special kid. But when you see somebody put this kind of um, work into it and desire, um, that makes me a fan. You know, that makes me really interested. And, and really, I'm that way kind of across all the sports. When I see the guys that you can tell live it, breathe it, and bleed it, um, those are the guys that I like to watch. And, and it's fun for me to go there and watch Stetson Wright. You know, this guy, yeah. this guy's a super special guy. Yeah. And so, you know, people that are fans of the sport right now and are getting to watch what he does, you know, I hope that you realize what you're seeing is, is special freak status. You know, he's, and he's, and he keeps getting better, you know, and that, and that even makes it more exciting. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, man, how good is this guy going to get? Because, uh, you know, when I first when I first saw him, I was like, yeah, this guy, he rides Bronx pretty good, and he rides Bulls, you know, pretty good. And then he just kept getting better and better and better, and and he's just, you know, from what I see of him, he he has all the he has all the components in every way. He's gutsy. He's tough. He, he never weakens. He's not afraid of anything. Um, and he, you know, he, he approaches the sport in a way that it's important to me. I guess that's the only way I'd know to say it. You know, like when I watch him have the guts and the, and the, and the try and the determination and the work ethic and 
the scarier it gets, the 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 worse it gets, the harder he goes for it. And you know, he's one of the guys that if he gets a re-ride, you can bet your ass he's gonna take it. And that's you know, that's something that's always felt so important to me. Um not just for what it'll do for you in the competition, but just that mindset's important. You know, I always say a re-ride's like a mulligan. You know, if you were playing golf and somebody says, okay, you hit a bad shot, but I'm going to give you another try. Here's a ball. I'm going to give you another try for free. Every time. The people that say, nah, I'll just stick with that bad shot. That always makes me go, what? You know, like, do you want to be here? Is this what, is this what you do? Are you a professional? Like, is this, you know, I, I don't understand why you would hesitate at a free chance to do better. And Stetson doesn't do that. If they're going to give Stetson another one, he says, Bring, bring it on because <laughs> I know I can get better. Yeah. And and that's and that's important, you know, like so I, I haven't been able to see a a part of his game that I couldn't say is top notch. I feel like every aspect of the way he approaches it is top notch and 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 I'm a fan I'm a fan. Those those kind of guys inspire me to this day when I when I see a you know, those are the kind of guys like the running backs that don't step out of bounds. They they want they want that extra inch, and they're gonna they're gonna put their head down and take the punishment to get that extra inch. Those are the kind of things that really make me a fan. Well, Ty, you've sure been an inspiration to that next generation. So, thank you so much for joining us and your time here today. And we look forward to seeing you in Vegas. Absolutely, guys. I, I appreciate visiting with you, and uh, I'll see you out there. Yes, sir. Happy Christmas tree hunting. All right. (laughs) Want to experience more of the NFR? Then visit NFRexperience.com. And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've heard on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. Subscribe.